Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering what's happening locally in theatre, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's curated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free right now at taprootedmonton.ca. up on the end of a book it's always a good feeling mm-hmm. feeling of uh, accomplishment we set out to make this podcast now many years ago well over 200 episodes ago uh and i had said at the time if we make it through a single book we will have fulfilled the mission of the read <laughs> which was to review a book yeah and um well no to go through a book chapter by chapter and i suppose yes review is, is the wrong word to, to use to here book club a uh, book in slow motion <laughs> And uh, here we are now multiple books later with many tens of readers. Tens, I tell you. Who are reading along with us. And uh, yeah. It, I dare it, say dozens even. If you squint. <laughs> uh, but it is a good feeling nonetheless to uh, once again get through a novel and uh, and read its conclusion. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I have mentioned this a couple times in the past couple episodes, but uh, just in case you weren't paying attention. Because I don't, I don't know you. You might be listening to this in the background while you're at work or driving somewhere. You might miss some things. We do one more episode on Beneath the Rising after this episode, where we go full book club on it. That's something to look forward to next week. That's also when we will announce our next novel. Yes, which means we have to go shopping. Because as of this recording, we have not chosen our next novel yet. No, things have been a little busy and crazy at our house in the last little bit. Uh, I won't go into any more detail than that. But uh, suffice to say, we have not had the time. <laughs> no. We admittedly usually wait until closer to the end of the novel to pick our next one. Um, this is maybe pushing it a little compared to normal, but... uh eh. Depends. Eh. It depends. Um, I do know that we are probably doing a fantasy novel next. Yes, based on our Twitter poll. Yeah, people seem to want to do another fantasy book, so we'll be be taking a look for that. Cool. Yeah. But uh, we do still have one final chapter, an epilogue, to Mm -hmm. get through in Beneath the Rising. But before we get there, a brief recap of our penultimate chapter, chapter Mm -hmm. 28, in which... Aftermath happens? Yeah, the world is saved, (laughs) but a relationship probably isn't. Yeah, probably. Uh, we were left feeling a little gross about the victory. Uh-huh. And uh, we're wondering if we would get any sort of conclusion as we move into the epilogue of Beneath the Rising by Premi Muhammad. You want to know what I call my notes? What did you call your notes? Vague and Halloweeny. The most apt thing I could think of. Uh, an appropriate time for the epilogue because we are in a vague Halloweeny time right now. It's true. Because it's mid-October. Yeah, it's, it is months later from 
the events of the previous Yeah, we basically jump from Canada Day at the beginning to Halloween here at the end. Yeah. We are, as you say, getting ready for Halloween with Nick and the kids. The whole family's back together. It looks like there's a whole princess party going on (laughs) with Carla and her friends getting ready to go out trick-or-treating. The doorbell rings. Nick extricates himself from the, the pandemonium long enough to answer the door. And there, dressed as Frodo, laden with candy, is Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, she sweeps in. Talking about pre-gaming, like they're all about to go to the club. Mm. Need to load up on sugar before you go get sugar. That's right. Just like you need to have a couple drinks before you hit the club. Yeah. Yeah. It's cheaper that way. It's how things go. Yeah. The twins do run over and give Auntie Johnny a hug. Carla does not. She and Nick actually exchange a bit of a look. Mm-hmm. This right here is a thing I kind of wish we had a little bit more of, if you know what I mean. You're looking at me like you don't know what I mean. Not that I, Not that I revel in Fallout. But I think I would have appreciated a little more, what am I trying to say? I wish it would have been filled in a little bit more about what happened. Not specifically between Carla and Johnny necessarily, but maybe between like Nick's whole family and Johnny. Oh, I'm willing to say that Carla and Johnny didn't have any interaction with one another up until right now since the house got trashed. It does glaze over a lot of stuff. Yeah. And um, I mean, we get a little bit of that context, but uh, not a lot of it prior to the end of the novel. And this is a motif that's going to run through the entire epilogue. It's an example of the uh, emotional and physical wreckage left in the wake of Johnny's disastrous experimentation into her impossible box. Yeah. That as much as Johnny might like to act like things are better, it's not. Because you can't just spackle over that. Right. And call it fixed. Not really. Yeah. And at risk of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, uh, I think Johnny's aware of that, but is kind of hopeful that things have been smoothed over. And is clearly going out of her way to try to smooth things over. We'll, we'll get into a little bit yeah. of that as well. Yeah. Nick is off put. Um, he has, as previously mentioned, not really seen Johnny for months. Apparently, the family was squirreled away in Sweden during the whole adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, there are worse places to be squirreled away to. Yeah, the twins apparently saw it more like a vacation, but Mom and Carla were deeply traumatized by the swarm of monsters which wrecked their house. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You reach a certain age where things start to click a little better. Yeah, and Carla's that age. Yeah. Whereas I, the twins aren't. I would, yeah, I was going to say, I assume the boys are too young to fully grasp everything, understand it, remember it, process yeah. it, all that. Yeah. Whereas Carla's clearly a little bit older. Mom is definitely older. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's going to be issue. As I had said, Johnny has tried to smooth things over. The family's back together. They're back in Canada. The house was repaired and renovated, apparently. And they just haven't needed to pay bills in a while. Though, as Nick points out, that was never anything that was spoken out loud, that that was a thing that was going to happen. It so just sort of started happening. They don't know how long that's going to last. But apparently Johnny's just covering their utilities and what have you right now. Right. Just uh, trying to make up for all of the hardship a little bit. But typical Johnny fashion, throw money at it. It goes away, right? I thought that real loud as I was reading through those paragraphs about how their bank accounts are full and they don't have to pay bills and their house was just fixed for them. And I'm like, yep, that's Johnny throwing money at the problem. Things are easier for them, but things aren't necessarily better. Right, because there's a difference. Yeah. Nick doesn't want Johnny to stick around, so he kind of like walks her outside away from the kids for a minute. Fittingly, they stop by a tree 
which still shows like a huge gash mark on it from <laughs> monsters. Right. And I, I was like, not subtle book, but well played. <laughs> a, a literal physical manifestation of how you can't just pretend what happened didn't happen. The only way that metaphor could have been any louder is if there were like paper money like pasted over it <laughs> to try and cover up the gash. There's a little bit of that usual cutting banter between them that they, they frequently had when they were friends. I'm going to underscore the when part there. When they were friends? Because it comes across a lot icier in this chapter. It does. Nick's cutting remarks come across a lot more mean here. Yes. Because it because there's a coldness between them. Oh, there there absolutely is. But I, I still appreciate that the banter is still there, even if the banter has different undertones to it now. For sure. It still comes across as that, you know, that friendly ribbing, even if underneath it, it's not so friendly, not so anymore. friendly anymore. Yeah. Uh, Johnny says she's actually there, not necessarily to make a peace offering, but to kind of say goodbye to Nick. And Nick kind of knows instinctively what she's talking about. Basically, she recognizes that their friendship is is wrecked and she's going to give him space, but she also might not have much time left. Because she's been using a lot of magic in the last few months and a lot of prodigy power. And she's been burning a lot of her time. So she might not have that long left. And this might be the last time they see one another before she's used up. Mm -hmm. Nick isn't certain how to process that necessarily. He's kind of of mixed emotions about it. Right? Because on the one hand, her saying goodbye was kind of a punch to him. Yeah. Right? Like one of those, oh, you feel it in your stomach, right? You you feel your heart drop, that that sort of sensation. Yeah. So clearly he wasn't entirely expecting it right this moment, but then the way he reacts to it, he knew it was coming. Well, and I think there's a sense of relief too. Mm-hmm. Because it's her basically saying, I'm going to be out of your life. And I think that for him in this moment, that's that's big, but it's maybe taking a shape that he doesn't necessarily appreciate. Right. Like, it's one thing to never want to see Johnny again. It's another thing for Johnny to just die. (laughs) Yes. And I think that that's one of the reasons why he's twisted up. Because he's like, oh, good, I don't have to see you anymore. Ah, it kind of sucks that it's because you might be dying, though. That, yeah. Yeah. It's not not great. And I mean, he can see Rutger down the road waiting at the car, and he looks kind of pained. And he's like, yeah, she's, she's dying. That's the thing that's happening. Now, this is where we learn something interesting. Johnny apparently has gone and rebuilt the impossible box. She did make it, I'm going to call it marginally less dangerous. However, and this might be a plus side, no one else seems to be able to make it work. Because she is literally fueling it with magic and nobody else can use magic the way she can. It doesn't work for anybody else. And that has actually put a little bit of suspicion on her in the scientific community that this might be fraudulent. That she might be trying to pull a fast one. Well, here's the weird thing about it, though. He mentions that they tested her Mm -hmm. slash it. Right? Mm-hmm. In a sealed lab, being monitored and watched the whole time, mm-hmm. she rebuilt a box and made it work. But the problem is no one else can. Yeah. The, yeah. The problem is no one else can replicate it. So I actually don't know what that means in terms of usefulness of this little box. Yeah. Especially if, as you say, we think she's dying. Well, in theory, she can make a box that works and someone else can just turn it on or turn it off. The problem yeah, is the problem is no one else can make 
said box. Yeah. So until it breaks, because then she's the only one who can fix it. Well, she mentions that they're moving into like a prototype phase for something more stable that she's built, which implies to me that the plan is to maybe make a couple of them before the end. But still. The point is, though, despite the fact that she nearly ended the world with this technology just a few months ago, she went back and tried again. Oh, this... And Nick actually has a knee-jerk reaction to this. Like, he has a twinge of anger in that moment. And really so! Where he's like, "You you just can't help yourself. You literally can't help yourself. You just about ended the world. And you were like, we should try again. I feel like this is a much bigger something that we should save until next episode oh yeah for sure um but i will i will sum up very quickly and say simply i am very disappointed in johnny's lack of character development oh, and her lack of self-awareness in this moment certainly but i mean she's also magically afflicted right so maybe she literally can't help herself in the way that it's hard for nick to not hang around with her maybe hard to say but again that's probably a larger philosophical conversation for next episode. Yes. Apparently everyone's calling the near world ending disaster the dimensional anomaly. Hard not to notice a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Apparently it did attract a lot of notice. You don't say. And so, yeah, that's just a thing people are talking about now. Um, And she says, you know, we, we all need to work together to help repair the damage done by this. And Nick is sure hoping she's not talking about like the two of them. (laughs) Because he's kind of done with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And he kind of admits to himself he feels like he's in a better place. He feels more self-realized knowing what's going on and having been able to spend time away from her. Yes. And the feeling that she's going to be out of his life is lifting for him. It makes him feel like he can finally be himself. Because it's different now. It's not like, oh, she's off globetrotting for six months and I miss her while she's gone. It's, no, we've left each other. We have we have separated, right? You know what I mean? Like, we've purposely put distance there. I don't, I don't want to be next to this person anymore. Yeah. He's taking some space is what he's doing. Yeah, he, he no longer wants her in his life. And... You can tell he still feels that compulsion. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that. Yeah. We're going to get to that. And so I don't know what that means. Apparently, they did also argue almost as much as we did about that gross kiss in the desert. Oh, I know. And of course, naturally, Johnny tried to talk it down as nothing. Of course. Yep. Because she felt nothing. And Nick was grossed out by it in the end. Well, yeah. Especially because he thought it did mean something. Because it sure seemed like it meant something in the moment. And she was like, no, no, it was nothing. And now that's just more gross on top of it. Yep. Makes it somehow even worse. Pile on that gross. Yep. Uh, so Nick is like, well, good luck and goodbye. And uh, she's like, cool, we'll say goodbye to everybody else for me and heads back to the car. And this is where, as you say, that compulsion kicks in because Nick, watching her walk away, is like, God, I should just, I should run over and I should put a hand on her shoulder and tell her it's going to be okay and we'll hang out yeah. again soon. Like, how hard would it be to be like, I, I forgive you, please don't go. Yeah. And even he, like, his rational, logical brain is like, you'd be lying. That's a lie. Don't <laughs> do that. Don't Don't do that. But he feels it. Right? Yeah. It, it's this it's this thing, like, deep inside him. Yeah. But fortunately, his rational mind uh, wins out in this moment. His brain beats his heart. And because it's his heart belongs to Johnny, but his brain is all his own. <laughs> That's true. That's something that I just came up with right now. And 
it is surprisingly poignant, and we will probably come back to it next episode. <laughs> he goes back inside. He has a moment with Carla and kind of considers that he's finally free of Johnny as she goes off to continue being the greatest person ever in history. Uh, and while everyone remains ignorant of her evil. The end. Yeah. That's pretty bleak. It is. Yeah. It's just, and that's how it, that's how it stops. Yeah. That's how it ends. That's where it finishes. Do you think Johnny dressed as Frodo for this final meeting simply because it was Halloween and she's a big Lord of the Rings nerd, previously established, or because she was trying to make the point that Nick kind of recognized? That she was putting on a bit of theater for him. That this was her sailing off to the West from the Grey Havens <laughs> moment and that she was she was trying to be grandiose about it. Yeah, to to leave him to his life. To so that he can be Sam and go home to the Shire and his family. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Nick makes the comment about being her Sam. He is her Sam. For and how sure. he how he should follow her and be her Sam. And I was like, no, no, but they separated. <laughs> they went their separate ways in the end. He is her Sam, but the problem is that unlike Sam, who's loyal to Frodo out of actual friendship and yeah, loyalty. out of genuine love and uh, care. Nick has no choice in the matter. He had that choice taken from him. He's more of a, a golem. Uh, well, that would make Johnny his one ring. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. I didn't say it wasn't gross. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't bad. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some threads there that could be picked up in a sequel. So presumably Nick and Johnny will return. Maybe. In Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> There's a little James Bond reference. Uh, that's not the name of the second book. God, I hope not. The copyright infringement. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, as endings go, I it wasn't terrible. But it wasn't the best one I've ever read either. I was a little disappointed in it. It... It did have a little bit of finality. Yeah. Even though, like, I know there's a sequel novel, so it's not final. But it if you read this book by itself, I think that it has an ending. I just agree with you. I don't know that it's a satisfying ending. It is yeah. a bleak ending, and I suppose that that fits with the, the genre. I'm, I'm not against a bleak ending. I'm against an ending that leaves too many things open and or unresolved. Well, in this case, the author is definitely, I think, leaving some things open and unresolved with the intention of writing a follow-up novel. Which which is fine, but there's like there's a limit to how much of that I can handle before I just get disappointed that you're not telling me anything. A good story should have a beginning and a middle and an end, even if it is one part of a larger story. Right. And like, you feel like this one didn't have enough end. Enough end. Right. Enough. Like um, I, I give full props for the immediate aftermath, which we very rarely see. Um, but then she skipped over the other aftermath, <laughs> which we normally do see. And so I was left feeling uh, a little wanting from that. Like, well, maybe you're well, just... What, what else happened? Like, this was a major world event and all we care about is trick-or-treating? Like, tell me what happened. But, yes. And the reason for that is because... This book was never about the apocalypse. It was about these friends falling out of friendship. I know. And so we we see the end of that. Which, yes, we and do. And that's the important stuff. But you can't have something as big as a, as a global apocalypse and not talk about it a little bit. They do talk about it a little bit. A very little bit. Yeah. I, want, I just wanted more. I, would... I, I didn't want to have to fill in all those gaps myself. At risk of getting book clubby. 
if I could level one mild complaint uh, about the book, it's that that's the case with the entire novel. Is that there's this great big thing going on in the background, but we're so laser focused on the relationship between Johnny and Nick that it all is kind. It just blurs by. We don't get enough time living in any of it. We don't get enough time with any of the side characters. We don't get enough time with any of the world building because we're so focused on Nick and Johnny. Yeah. And that is, I want to underscore a mild criticism I have with the novel. But again, that is getting very book clubby. But uh, yeah, um, without necessarily, I'm not going to talk about the context of the book. I'm not going to say whether or not I liked the book. That'll be for next episode. What I will say is as an ending goes, maybe a little tinge of disappointment. And I kind of agree with you. It's because it feels like in particular, Johnny didn't have any real arc or development. Not really. She, she ends pretty much in the same place she began with, and she gets no comeuppance for being a villain who did tremendous harm to our main character. She lost her best friend. A best friend she did not deserve. Well, yeah. I suppose if you want to really underscore it, she lost her only friend. Yeah. Because Rutger, as previously established, not her friend, he's her hireling. Yeah. There's a difference. Her employee. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not close with her family. Mm-hmm. Nick was the closest thing she did have to a real honest friend, and even that was fake. And that's kind of sad for her. It is. I'm not saying it's not deserved. I'm just saying she did lose something. She lost Nick. I would be willing to give Johnny the benefit of the doubt. Because I don't believe she's a complete monster. And say that to her, that would be the loss of something of incredible value. Yes. Yes. Because again, I don't... (laughs) Well, I would say that Johnny is probably could be qualified as evil. She is definitely villainous. And she has done some morally terrible things, albeit for the greater good. She is also short-sighted and egotistical. I do not believe she is a complete monster. She is not Drazenoth. No. I would be reluctant to call her evil and we're getting into semantics and well, possibly book clubby and stuff possibly book clubby stuff so i won't go too far but to me calling someone evil implies a certain level of malice and i don't think that johnny has malice she's not doing it for the sake of being evil yes she's short-sighted yes she's egotistical yes she's all of these other things but she's not doing it to hurt people You don't need to necessarily do something to hurt people to do evil. And I would argue that many of fiction and history's great villains would consider themselves the heroes of their own story. We we discussed this in the previous Mm -hmm. novel. The The best villains think they're the hero. Yeah, but she is, and we've discussed this before, her motivations are selfish. Oh, yeah. She doesn't want to help the world to help the world. She wants to help the world for the glory. Yeah. She wants to help the world to be the hero. Yeah. And that selfish motivation poisons her actions. And the fact that she's using evil technology and magic to achieve good ends does not negate the fact that her technology is powered by the heart of a forsaken child does not change the <laughs> fact that the technology is powering the world. Like it's still an evil was done. And that's the case here. We don't have time to argue this kind of philosophy. No. And again, we're, we're starting to really tiptoe into, into what we should be clubby. discussing next, next 
uh, yes. episode. <laughs> so things to look forward to, discussing the nature of good and evil, <laughs> discussing existential horror, uh, touching on themes and running motifs through the novel, and of course, Anita's favorite game. Cast that movie. Yeah. We're really just going to cast Nick and Johnny, right? We could consider a voice or physical actor for a Drazenoth. We could mm-hmm. we could cast Rutger or uh, any number of the little side characters. The problem is we only really spend time with Nick and Johnny in it's this true. novel. We don't get a lot of time with anybody else meaningfully. Yeah, we don't get more than a chapter with anybody else. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. We will cast Nick and Johnny, obviously. And then if we think of somebody else that we would like to play another, like someone who are like, yeah, this person would be good for this, we can throw a couple in. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll leave it open ended, but yeah. for the most part, Nick and Johnny. This one's this one's going to be tricky, I think for me. Well, it depends on if you are Dawson casting or casting by age. Yeah, I don't because know. I don't know a lot of young actors, so it'll be a little tricky. Mm-hmm. This might not be our most most best game of cast that movie, but we're going to play it anyway. We'll try. Yeah. The problem is that again, if we're finding obscure child actors who aren't in huge productions or big movies or what have you or mm. haven't been recently, um, they might not be people you know. The good news is, gives you an excuse to find. Uh, something that that actor is in and watch it. So, True. Yeah. Anyway, so with that all said, uh, you can look forward to that next week. In the meantime, hey, we're part of a podcast network and there are other podcasts on it. And you should go listen to one of those. Here's one of them. Hello. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Kyle and I'm the host of Creative Block. It's a podcast where I talk with artists and creative entrepreneurs. So if you're curious to understand the minds of theater producers, local actors, podcasters, or even a guy who created a company making houses out of old shipping containers, then you should come and subscribe to Creative Block, a podcast that comes out twice a month. That's not a threat. It's just a promise. Available anywhere you download podcasts. It's hard to be a network if you don't have lots of podcasts in it. So, yeah, we... Yeah. We actually haven't plugged anybody else on the network in a while, and uh, I mean, we get our ads assigned to us, which it's true is is normal. We just we don't often get assigned APN ads. Maybe it's because of our demographic. I don't know. Well. I don't make those decisions. You can check out all of the member podcasts of the network right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can probably find those podcasts on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Be sure to give us a little rating and a review. We appreciate you That's and right. your feedback. Yeah, you can also give us feedback on social media. Yes. All right, you've heard me say it before. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along for most of them. We are also available via email. Yes, we are at TheReadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Time to go buy your wine. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.